This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, I'm Greta Thomas. And I'm Claire Hatton. Welcome to this how to episode here at Don't Stop Us Now. Today, we're going to cover the often uncomfortable topic of how to negotiate your pay. We've actually had a number of requests from our listeners who have said it's a really important issue and they'd really like some advice on it. And interestingly, two of our recent guests, Margarita Hadothia and Cindy Gallup, really dig deep on negotiating pay and gave us some really great tips and advice. Yes. So we thought now is the perfect time. And, you know, I think, Claire, it's something we've all struggled with at some point or another. I know in my case, I took a job early on. I was really keen to get into television as a reporter. I was a radio journalist reporter at the time. And I accepted a lower salary than I knew was fair in order to get my foot in the door and start reporting. Two years down the track, though, I never made that gap up. And I was continually aware that I was being paid less than I should be and paid less than my colleagues. The good thing about that is it really emboldened me for the future. And I vowed at that point in time, I would never put myself in that situation again. And it stood me in good stead from the point of view of giving me the courage to negotiate. Yeah, sometimes you need those kind of experiences to help you know what to do next. Yeah, and also to realize what's fair. And I think that's really important. Now, before we go any further, we both want to stress here that we're doing this episode not because money is the be-all and end-all or the most important thing, far from it. But both Claire and I are massive believers in equity and fairness in all areas, and that includes pay. And what the data irrefutably shows is that on average, men are paid more than women. Yeah. And actually, when you dig into the stats, it's actually quite shocking because there is no country in the world where there isn't a pay gap between women and men. Yeah. You know, and if we just talk about three countries, if we look at the US, in the US last year, women earned 82% of what men earned. Wow. That's quite significant. It is really significant. In Australia, it was 85%. And in the UK, it was a bit better. It was 90%. But still, there is that gap and we need to close that gap. Totally agree. And obviously, some of that gap is attributable to the fact that there are way more men in leadership and highly paid positions. But this is part of the problem too. So we've got to um, all work harder to get equity. Um, If we think, though, why this happens, it's really quite interesting to step back and realize why we're in this position. There's actually a number of reasons. 
And the first one that had really struck me only some months back is when you look at the overall time of women being in the workforce in any significant number or proportion, it's actually a really short amount of time. It was only in the late 1960s in most countries that women having a career after university or education was more expected than not. And, you know, they say that sort of culture and popular TV shows, etc., are a bellwether of what's happening in society. And the first time a TV sitcom portrayed a woman as an independent working woman was only as recently as the early 1970s, which was the Mary Tyler Moore show where she played the role of an independent working journalist. And that is not that long ago, is it? No, that's like 50 years. That's crazy. Yeah. And it explains that, you know, we started in the overall scheme of things pretty recently in this work lark and we've got some catching up to do. If you think about it, we've really only been measuring and tracking data that show the differences between men and women's pay Pretty recently, I'd say only really the last five to 10 years has it had any profile. Yeah, maybe more like five, actually. Yeah, probably from the emphasis point of view, for sure. And of course, what we know is if you're not measuring and then if you're not paying attention to the data, then you're very unlikely to be actually addressing the underlying issue. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a third reason as well. And that reason is that generally women are much more uncomfortable talking about money than men are. Yeah, for sure. You know, this is a really big issue. And actually, one of our guests, Margarita Hadothia, who's based in Costa Rica, but works internationally, she had quite a lot to say about this. So we just wanted to share a quick snippet from her. So let's hear from her now. Men have a very easy relationship with money in general. They don't see it as anything bad of speaking about money, speaking about earning or making more or being aggressive about negotiations. Women and women executives, you can see them that they, if they are negotiating on behalf of the company, they are very good negotiators. But if they are ne negotiating on behalf of their own retribution or earnings or salary or remuneration, they are not as aggressive. Mm. And that is something that um, I notice time and again when I interview men and women. You can offer a man a salary, doesn't matter how much you offer, and they will always say it's too little. And very often women will say, okay, great, when do I start? That's so true, isn't it? You know, yeah. the number of times that I've seen women take jobs without negotiating, and you'd never get men doing that. They always negotiate. Yeah, for sure. You know, and the anecdotal evidence is that women sometimes are afraid to negotiate in case the offer falls through and they pull it away from them. But I, I really think that that logic is flawed because, you know, when you've been looking for somebody, you found the right person for the job and you've made an offer, you're actually kind of expecting to negotiate. Yeah, very often. And even if you, they're not fully expecting to negotiate, it's not going to turn them off the candidate just because the candidate asks for more. No, absolutely not. And, you know, there may well be that also that there's a sense that as a woman, you want to join a company on really good terms and negotiating might feel like it's a bit more aggressive. But again, I think the logic is flawed because, 
you actually gain some credibility from negotiating. Especially if you've got any commercial element to your role, because if you're seen to be able to be confident enough to negotiate your own value, that would reassure the hiring organization that you're also confident enough to negotiate on behalf of the organization. Yeah, I totally agree. Now, all of this, of course, begs the question, well, how do we tackle the problem and how do we get more comfortable negotiating? And I think one of the first things that I remember finding really reassuring was understanding that men typically negotiate way more frequently than women. And just knowing that that is what is happening on the playing field, so to speak, makes it feel more comfortable for me to negotiate. You know, one study shows that men on average were asking for a pay rise four times more frequently than a woman was, which is really significant difference. And the other aspect that some studies show is that men are more likely to ask for a specific number, like put a stake in the ground for where they want to be, whereas women were not. And I think that also doesn't help women's causes. Yeah, you can understand why there is a gap, actually, if that's the case, if men are asking four times as as many times as women are. Yeah, because imagine if you have two equally well-performing candidates at the same level, but you've only got budget or quota to give one a pay rise, and one of those two is a man and he's asked you three times already in the last six months for more money, and the other is a woman who hasn't asked, then you're going to figure you're going to let the woman down less painfully if she doesn't get the pay rise, whereas the guy is going to be more annoyed because he's already asked three times. Yeah, absolutely. And you probably just assume that it's not important to the woman. Yeah, potentially. Exactly. So building on this, this all kind of relates to our comfort at promoting ourselves, promoting our work and what we've achieved, as well as asking for a pay rise. And I think this leads beautifully into one of our previous guests, Cindy Gallup, who is really passionate about women getting used to self-promoting themselves more. Because just as we often don't realize men are asking for pay rises more frequently than women, they're also promoting their work, even if it's just doing their day-to-day job and what's expected of them. They promote this more than women do. Let's have a listen. If you don't promote yourself, who else is going to? Men promote themselves all the time, and nobody criticizes them for that. So I urge women to shamelessly self-promote all the time, because it doesn't matter as a woman how much you think you're promoting yourself, you're never promoting yourself as much as you should be. And all you're doing is you're doing yourself justice. Now, I know some of you may well be cringing at the thought of self-promoting yourself time after time, but here's what we'd like you to think about. Reframe self-promotion if you feel uncomfortable with thinking about that term in particular. Reframe it as your visibility within an organization or your profession, whichever is most relevant. Because one study that we've unearthed showed that interviewing 240 senior leaders at a Silicon Valley tech company, when they were asked what were the most important factors that resulted in promotion to their level, they said that by a country mile, your visibility within the organization was by far and away the most important thing. That's fascinating, isn't it? Yes. And what does visibility really mean? Yeah. We like to think there's two parts to it. The first is visibility of your skills. 
So that might be being on a high visibility project that's important to the organization. It may be that you send an email explaining the impact of something that's happened or keeping people up to date with the work that you've been doing. Absolutely. It could be that you write a two-page thought leadership piece proactively. You know, it's really about helping people understand that you've got those skills and that you're visible. The second piece is about being visible within a network. And that's really about prioritizing building relationships across an organization or a profession so that people in power actually can see who you are and that you are visible. So those are really the two parts of visibility. I think that's a really great way to think about it, those two areas, you know, visibility of your skills and then visibility with people and particularly people with power. Because if you think about it, if you're a manager and you've, say, got five people on your team and you keep hearing from other leaders in the organization about, say, two of your team members because they're working on their visibility, you know, when you come to have to award pay increases and you've only got a limited amount of dollars, who's more likely to get the pay rise? Yeah, absolutely. So Greta, I think now is the moment for us to get into the nitty gritty of actually asking for a pay rise. Yes, indeed it is. And the first thing I really want to say is that timing is everything. There are obvious times to negotiate your pay. The first one is when you get a new job. That is absolutely pivotal. You should be negotiating for a pay rise at that very moment. There's also when you're getting um, new responsibilities, perhaps, that's also a good time to negotiate your pay. When you're promoted, this is a good time. You know, obviously, usually when you get promoted, you get a pay rise, but actually negotiating that pay rise, that's the right time to be doing it. Absolutely. And then, of course, you've got times when you have performance reviews. For some people, that'll be once a year, other people twice a year. Some people, it could be quarterly. Performance reviews are important times to have those conversations about your expectations. But I think it's important to recognize that they probably aren't the time where you're going to get an immediate response to a pay. You know, you won't get a pay rise right at that moment in time, unless you've had the conversation over a period of time. And that's because most of the time you're talking about your performance ratings and your salary's already been fixed. And locked in. And locked in. So what you need to be doing is thinking about when those performance reviews are happening and perhaps having conversations prior to that, or indeed just starting with the performance review time, having that conversation, but knowing that the pay rise probably isn't going to come until the next performance review. For sure. And I think what that really emphasizes is that don't just think about this as a one-off negotiation. Signaling your expectations about your pay Think of it as a conversation and you may well have to have more than one conversation, be that beginning a a performance review and then over time. And, you know, certainly remember that the data shows men are likely to be raising the topic of their pay way more frequently than you realize. And Claire, I think you've got a great story about, you know, how it's important it is to signal your expectation, even if you don't get an instant result. Yeah, absolutely. Because you need, you've got to recognize that your manager is not a mind reader. That's for sure. So yeah, I mean, I was coaching somebody very recently, actually, and they had moved into a new job with much bigger responsibilities, but had missed out on the opportunity to negotiate their pay when they took the job. And over a number of months, this 
began to really grate on them. And so they wanted to have a conversation with the manager. And so what they ended up doing was, first of all, doing research and understanding, you know, well, where are they compared to others at their level, et cetera. Terrific. Which is, you know, always critical. We'll come back to that. Absolutely. And then they sat down with their boss and they actually said, look, this is where I'd like to get to in 18 months time. And it was, you know, it's quite a big salary increase. Is that realistic? And they also explained why they wanted to get there and why they thought they should get there. And what happened was actually was really interesting because the manager said, first of all, thank you so much for letting me know your expectations because his expectations of what she wanted were misaligned. And secondly, they had this great conversation about, okay, yeah, that is realistic, but this is what's going to have to happen over this period of time. It's going to take this long, a little bit longer than you think it's going to. And it's going to mean that I'm going to have to see this certain performance. And I won't be able to do it with fixed salary, but I might be able to do it with things like equity, which is, you know, really, really helped her so that now she's got this sort of understanding of the journey that she's on and that it is realistic. And he's now clear about what she wants. I love the fact that she didn't just go in there filled with resentment or impatience about, you know, where she was at on the salary level, but actually asked him a question. You know, here's my expectation. How realistic is that? So it really was a great way to introduce the topic in a gentler way, not an unrealistic demand, and have a conversation and engage her manager. I think that's really a great tip to think about when you go into these conversations, which of course brings us to the moment of, right, let's think about how we do prepare. And we heard from Margarita Hedothia earlier this episode, and she's got some great advice. And just as your person that you were coaching had done some research about, you know, benchmarks and what was fair pay, it's part of Margarita's advice too. Great. Well, let's listen to her. I think a lot of women use values or fairness or justice arguments. Those arguments don't go well with a lot of bosses, especially because most bosses are men. So do concrete jobs. I expect this much salary because this is how much money I have sold for the company. This is how much cost I have saved to the company. So be concrete, be mathematical. And don't expect necessarily a response right away, but leave your points on the table. So just as Margarita has said, getting actual data is just so critical because you just don't want to undervalue yourself or indeed ask for something that's completely unrealistic. Or sound fluffy. Or sound fluffy. Absolutely. So how do you, how do you do that? Well, ask other people. A particularly good thing to do is ask outside of your company. Friendly headhunters or recruitment folk are really fantastic. They often have benchmarks that are really, really helpful. I've done that. Another really fun and actually really, really useful tool is remember Cindy Gallup, who was on our show, our last show, actually, she has done something called the Ask Cindy Gallup chatbot. And you can find it on Facebook. And literally you go to Ask Cindy Gallup on Facebook. It's in Messenger. Yeah. Well, you go to Facebook actually and Ask Cindy Gallup. And then there's a link there that you can click on that takes you to Messenger. And you can have a conversation with Cindy about what you should be earning. Now, the pay numbers that they use, the data, 
is US based. So you'd need to put in a US postcode. So 90210 is a, a favorite one. But if you put that in, it will basically give you the data. But it's actually the conversation that she has with you that is, is really, really interesting as well. So we would so recommend you go there. Right. Yeah. So don't just do it for the actual numbers, but for some of the other advice as well. Well, if you're outside of the US, for yeah, sure. Of course, that makes good sense. Well, that's, that's fantastic. So research and coming up with some concrete data, not just actually about salary benchmarks, but as Margarita said, also what your contribution today, if this is within the company you already work, but even for a new role in a new organization, having data about how you've achieved things that is quantitative is going to be much more powerful than qualitative. So you've done the research. You need to set up a time to have this conversation with your manager or your boss, assuming it's within your existing company. And we really recommend that you are explicit and flag to them upfront that you want to be able to talk about your salary or your pay. So once you've done that, you've set their expectation, they know what the conversation is going to be about. That's a good thing. Then, of course, you need to practice having this conversation before you go into the room. And we'd really advocate that you practice with someone, ideally, so that they can hear you and give you some feedback and say, oh, no, look, that that doesn't sound strong enough, or you realize you're really fidgeting when you're saying that number. And in fact, on the um, practicing setting your expectation and, and actually asking for a number that you're after. I um, once went for a job, which was a new job outside of a company. I'd been approached by the CEO and I did go and get some advice from a headhunter, a recruitment person who was a friend of mine. And based on the new job that I was being approached to to go for, he gave me advice saying, look, I think this is a senior job. This new CEO is American. You should triple, or he didn't know what I was on currently, but the number he gave me was triple what I was on as a McKinsey consultant. And I had to practice saying the number in a mirror because every time I said the number, I realized I was kind of nervously almost giggling and, and having like nervous ticks because it just felt so extreme and large. And so I practiced saying it in a deadpan way. That was very helpful. I can so imagine that. <laughs> you know, that's a really good point because you need to recognize that when you go for this conversation, you're likely to feel really uncomfortable and you'll probably feel fear or anxiety because it's really, it's just not normal for you to be actually asking for a big pay increase. That's right. It takes us right out of our comfort zones. Absolutely. It does. So ways to get through that is, you know, before you're going into the meeting, make sure that you take some really big big, deep breaths. If you take really big, deep breaths, count to five as you breathe in, count to five as you breathe out, do that six times and you'll find that you'll feel a lot better. The other thing to do is something called power poses, which was made famous by Amy Cuddy and her research at Harvard which is literally where you just stand in an open position, whether that is with your hands on your hips like Superwoman 
or your hands in the air over your shoulders and do that for a minute or two and you'll find that you actually feel much more confident and you'll come across as more competent. So that's a great way to start. Sure is. Um, The other thing to do is, you know, when you first get into a meeting, that's when your nerves often get the best of you. So prepare and over-prepare your first few lines of what you're going to say. Um, And you can do that when you're practicing with your friend so that when you start the conversation that you sound more confident and your nerves don't get the better of you. That's exactly right. Yes. So that you, your heart might well be beating as you begin that conversation, but it's a great tip. All right. So here we are, we're in the meeting now. And if it It's a scenario where you're actually going to be negotiating a number and it's possible for the manager and you to come to an agreement. Here's some great advice again from Margarita. And then uh, as second nature, whenever they tell you they're going to pay you X, it doesn't matter if it's triple what you were expecting. Still learn to say, oh, it's it's less than I I was expecting. I'm going to have to think about it because you never know how much more you can get. What a great phrase to have up your sleeve. Yeah, I just love it. Well, you know what? I think we're at that point in the episode where we should recap. Do it. Okay. So let's go through what we've talked about today. So the first thing is don't forget to do your research. Second, prepare your case with data. Third, practice, preferably with somebody else. And fourth, Don't think about this as necessarily a one-off conversation, particularly if you're within an organization already. And you won't always be successful on your first go. So make sure that that doesn't stop you. Exactly right. Remember the data we cited earlier where one particular study found men ask for a pay rise four times more frequently than women do. And it's not as if they're successful every time. It's just that they're using pester power. The fifth thing that we talked about, which really supports your case when you're negotiating your pay is particularly within an organization you're already at, is to work on your visibility. And we talked about visibility in two different parts. One, do people know the skills you have? So are you putting your hand up to work on high profile projects or with people who have power and influence? Or are you emailing your manager and others about work you've achieved to date, even if it is part of your day-to-day job. Don't take your achievements for granted. And the second aspect of visibility is who knows about you? What is your profile like and how can you be thoughtful about building relationships and your network? Well, Greta, I think that that is our how-to episode done and dusted. Yeehaw! Let us know what has worked for you when negotiating your pay in the past. And also, because this is a really meaty topic, whether you've got further questions you'd like us to address, email us at hello at don'tstopusnow.co. And in fact, get in touch anyway. Sign up for our newsletter on our website homepage at don'tstopusnow.co. And coming up really soon, we've got a woman who started with zero experience who has built two factories so far as part of her mission to eradicate malnutrition. She is Navin Salem of Edicia, and she is remarkable. She truly is. So see you then. Ciao for now.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.